the very roots of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Welcome to Machinica Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry, as always, sponsored by the People's Institute for Revolutionary Semiotics. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to throw out that I do have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash M-U-H-H. If you can and you're enjoying the show and you want to, definitely feel free to consider throwing me a buck a month. This discussion is going to be a continuation of a discussion I had last episode on the E slash ACK part one with Jack Collis, also known as at Techno Ecologic. We looked at three pieces, one being Max Stirner and Karl Marx, and Overlooked Contratemps by Paul Thomas, and The Theory of the Individual, Max Stirner's Savage Thought by Alfredo Bonanno, and then The Right to be Greedy by an anonymous collective called For Ourselves. Part two of this discussion is going to primarily focus on that last piece, The Right to be Greedy, though we will be referencing back to, you know, a few quotes here and there, or a bit of discussion from part one. But here is part two of E slash Act with Jack Collis. Enjoy. The Right to be Greedy, I had jokingly in the past talked about coming up with a theory of egoist accelerationism. And I think that the right to be greedy did it already, Yeah, in a sense. Yeah. Um, they did a fantastic job, I think, of, of expressing it. And it just blows my mind that this was published in 1974. And yeah. it just anticipates so much. And it very skillfully is using Hegelian logic and argumentation in a way that oftentimes... I mean, I guess ostensibly they're some type of anarchist relatively anarchist group rather than you know pure marxist sure. correct yeah and but i mean they are right. very much referring to his yeah works as, right as well like i think the majority of citations in that come from like the german ideology strangely enough yeah and i mean certainly i would not i would not disregard marx in my sort of ideological project or what have you either right i'm not gonna like because i think that's dumb to I mean, you take the parts that make sense and incorporate them as needed. Yeah, exactly. Largely. But I think it's really funny that this is, they do such skilled Hegelian argumentation and dialectical movement, which is often, that's, it's off the reverse or like, that's the critique of anarchism is it's, you know, it's idealist in nature and doesn't follow like the immortal science of, <laughs> yeah, sure. of dialectical materialism. Yeah, which I think is total artificial construction. Like there is as much materialism in libertarian socialism as there is in what we were talking about with the Soviet Union, that was, you know, the material concerns of their time. And that is where the workers' movement channeled its energy into the development of capital. But I think at this point, materialism lends itself more towards libertarian socialist conclusions. The abolition of work and the pressing need to overcome capital in all forms, not just secure bread in the same way that like a Soviet peasant might have yeah. felt that kind of egoist need. We have the similar need to secure a future and a future not only from environmental 
degradation, but from capital itself. There is the pressing need for this like historical necessity of egoist communism. Yeah. First thing right off, the first two theses, I'll read them. They're short. Greed in its fullest sense is the only possible basis of a communist society. Our discussion of Jeff Bezos, I think, bears this out, right? Because not only is there that... like, Well, well the second thesis is that like the present forms of greed fail because they're not greedy yeah, right. enough. They're greedy Correct. only for the... In a very narrow They're They're greedy context. within the context of capitalism. You know, they are greed for money and for power. They're not greed for community and for free time and things that capitalism doesn't and by nature cannot deliver on. They also have a very, a very, I think, materialist or very astute understanding that you can't repress, like the move to repress egoism is a failed project from the start. Yeah. Like it only works within that context of scarcity. You can only repress that egoism when there are material concerns obscuring it. In the case of the Soviet Union, you can only repress the egoism of the individual worker when they're at risk of starving and are willing to repress their own subjectivity. This is funny, like in the context of how capitalism actually (laughs) is repressive of egoism too, because here I'll read this. Its repression simply means that it returns in a hidden duplicitous form. If it cannot show itself in the open market, it will find itself or create for itself a black market. If it is not tolerated in transparent relations, the repressed self will split into two, into a represented self, a personal organization of appearances, a persona, and that which cringes and plots behind this character armor. Yeah. Which would be like us. We're workers, but we're fucking, we're plotting the downfall of <laughs> of this system because it's repressing our I mean, even in like the most literal sense, that kind of was a major factor in like the dissolution of the Soviet Union. You know, David, the workers wanted like David Hasselhoff and Blue Jeans and Michael Jackson. They were kind of like channeled into this collective so, uh, socialist realist culture, which was very, it was built on the cult of the collective and the repression of, I don't know, that individual culture that flourished within capitalism and workers saw that kind of abundance of desire and identified with it more than they identified with the existing system, I guess. I mean, like, that's obviously not the only factor in the decline of the Soviet Union, but it is like a factor in like, I don't know, that ideology of self-sacrifice and, you know, sublimation to the greater good can only hold out for so long. And is that that Landian reality as far as systems that exist have existed to this day of capitalism more than any other system identifies itself with desire. But yeah, I think that is a, you know, very revealing quote. And they they go on to say like a frontal assault on selfishness will only like run up upon those strong ideological defenses towards selfishness that are like ingrained by capitalist ideology. And they say, wouldn't it be easier to turn that strength right. upon itself? Yeah, exactly. Like, wouldn't it be easier to induce the person to transform themselves through their own desires? Yeah. That is direct quoting. Yeah. And they call it the method of seduction, which I think is, it kind of reminds me of that Deleuze and Guattari bit about how fascism aroused people. It appealed to a desire within people. It wasn't just thrust upon them. Yeah. You know, people voted it in. Right. If not by majority, there was a significant base of support. It appealed to people on a libidinal level. 
Yeah, absolutely. And any kind of anti-capitalist project needs to tap into that kind of river yes. of desire. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's why I say there's got to be a libidinal energy to communism. It can't just be this... Rowing upstream of paddling a boat up the river of desire, which right. is so powerful, you know? And that's why I kind of say this is like the accelerationist or egoist accelerationist manifesto in the sense of the way it sort of takes a similar logic of why fight against the sort of bulwark of capitalism when you can sort of burst, use desire to burst through that. Exactly, yeah. And like, that's what they're saying. I mean, here they said, narrow greed will turn against itself. No more powerful weapon against greed could possibly f- be found than greed itself. Right. I think that people do kind of have this cowed self-submission to the system. Like they, they're, they're willing to demand so little of elected officials and the system that they they, they just want to work because it would mean a steady paycheck and whatnot. Yeah, stability. Like, yeah, they, they, they would rather have stability than freedom. That is what you're kind of fighting against in this situation is like you're fighting against that desire to just have bread on the table with the possibility that you can have bread on the table and time to do what you want during the day. You can have more than that. This is not all that exists. This is not all that is possible. I think that's where you kind of like have that contradistinction between Stroner's conception of individualism, which is like free yourself as far as you can and you've done your part, and Marx's conception, which is that the individual can be more. I think there is there's something to be said for both of those things. You know, Stroner's praxis of living freely is the best way to achieve that kind of Marxist utopia. To live freely and exist as you would in that communist society is almost a way to bring about that society. You know, the refusal of work, for example, being like a way to simultaneously engage in your own pursuits and at the same time subvert the sale of your labor. I think this very important passage from page 12, today we have to be jealous of each other's pleasures, not because our pleasures are so many and so great, but because they are so meager and so few, that is what's tapping into the fear of stability. It's of scarcity. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is one paycheck away from poverty. Yeah. And that is what maintains order. That's what maintains exactly. the yeah. system is fear. Fear instilled through artificial Ideology. artificial scarcity. Yeah. yeah. The artificial scarcity that creates all this. There's all this wasted production and effort to make a bunch of junk just for its own, just for like production's sake so often right yeah absolutely i think that like that fear of and to reinforce hierarchy through consumption through resources there's like a line in the right to be greedy which is that the authoritarian mindset is the same as the slave mindset it is like that a person will be willing to give up their freedom and their self-responsibility in order to have that kind of like uh edible father figure provide for them. And that is kind of like Reich's argument of like the origins of fascism is the sublimation sublimation of your own will and your own freedom in order to prov- have that kind of reassuring leader provide for you instead. It's it's a kind of fear of freedom and a fear of scarcity that motivate that authoritarian impulse. I think the most important thing I think in the right to be greedy is that I think the core conceit of what I find most appealing about it is that the way it attacks the dichotomy that has been set up between individualism and collectivism. It's necessary to point out, they say, that the one-sided abstractions of the individual and society are so kind of 
ideologically reinforced. You know, socialism is collectivism and collectivism is bad because yeah. it means the negation of individuals. They argue like their quote is, we can be individuals only socially, we can be social only individually. Communist society does not mean a richer collectivism at the expense of individualism. It means both richer indi- a richer individualism and a richer social fabric. It says ultimately wealth is nothing but society itself, which I think yeah that's the key that's the focal point that needs to be that needs to that can like bridge that divide is that realization yeah that instead of this atomistic version of society where the relation the social relations are obscured and all that is sort of swept aside in this this deception that's the great deceit of capital there's another really great quote, which is that they say that communist egoism is the synthesis of altruism and narrow egoism, which is that in The Soul of Man Under Socialism, Oscar Wilde basically like complains, why am I forced to witness the poverty of the beggar? Why am I forced to, you know, engage with their plight? Why can't I, why must that situation exist in which I'm forced to be altruistic? The only way to surpass that need for self-sacrifice and altruism is through demanding everything of the system, demanding that it take care of that person's need without that kind of individual sacrifice. It is the narrow greed or the expanded greed for a society that is in which the individuals are, there's a great quote from Raoul Van Eigem or whatever, I don't know how his name is pronounced, that the freedom of one will be the freedom of all. Like, yeah. Kind of like reminds me of that Eugene Debs quote, which is as long as there is a man in prison, as long as there is like... Yeah, a, I am not free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can only surpass that horizon of altruism by realizing that you have to fight for those things yourself. You have to fight for the whole of society to have everything that you want. There's no one who can give that to you yeah and i think also this way that capitalism places that places us in conflict or the way that it makes us view the other as an as an obstacle to our desire yeah rather than the fulfillment of our desires yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that there is there is a kernel of truth in that like land quote, which the capitalism more than any other system is identified with desire. Capitalism is the height of individual life as it has currently existed, but it's not the absolute ceiling. You yes. Know? The prime barrier to that ceiling is in fact capital itself. There's a quote from The Right to be Greedy, which is the predominant characteristic of private property is a materialized reification where the egoism of its subjects, capitalists and workers alike, is suppressed and subordinated to the pseudo-subjectivity of the economy for itself. Right, exactly. And that's, see, that's where I see this two other sort of correlation with accelerationism Yeah. as well, as in that quote. Capitalism is not capable of Like in of that, that subjectivity that it creates. Yeah. It becomes this mm-hmm. abstraction. Mm-hmm. It becomes this, yeah. even like, you might even say, like, universal spirit of, of capital. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think that capitalism is capable of the ultimate deterritorialization that land posits it being. I think that it is fundamentally constrained by itself. Right. It is constrained by the fact that it can't, you know, burn through all these resources without ultimately self-immolating. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, we see that expressed through the threat of climate change most glaringly. Yeah, absolutely. You have to recognize that, you know, the capitalist division of labor is like the prime barrier 
to that kind of free flourishing of individual subjectivity. You can play the game of capitalism for a long time and but you're still an instrument at the end of the day exactly no matter what whether you're yeah. bezos or whatever like you're still an instrument for capital instead of a fully real you're a part object exactly rather than the fully you are you know whatever service you provide to the economy or to another person. whether that and that can even be expressed in the sense of capital to take a another kind of accelerationist standpoint towards it right yeah like yeah you're I, just a vehicle for the beast <laughs> even I, as a capitalist that has money right I think that like fundamentally or capital to just feed the beast with yeah human bodies and I mean fundamentally Marx does accept this premise of egoism as the foundation of subjectivity he admits in the German ideology that individuals have always started out from themselves and they could not do otherwise but the greater yeah so the quote is the greater and more articulated the social power is within the relationship of private property the more egoistic and asocial man becomes the more he becomes alienated from his own nature I mean, I think there is, you know, a give and take with that quote. I think the idea of human nature is flexible more so than that rigid, yeah. belies. Yeah, for Marx, like the individual, the expression of your individual individuality is limited by like material constraints. Like if you think about historic histories, like most iconic aesthetics or intellects or like, I don't know, uniques, you know, they're, they all came from like prosperous cultures and backgrounds of affluence. Frida and Einstein and Marx himself. You know, there, there's a great quote from The Right to be Greedy, which is that, that communist theoreticians are the only ones who have time to devote to the study of history. They are privileged to have that kind of ability to develop, to develop as an intellect or as an aesthetic, as an aesthete or what have you, like, by their material constraints. Speaking of Einstein, there's a really great Stephen, you know, Stephen Jay Gould, that yeah. he's kind of like a scientist who is like socialistic, I guess, in his politics. He says... I'm not so concerned with the size and measurements of Einstein's brain so much as like the near certainty that equal intellects have labored in the fields without ever yeah, absolutely. having the chance to develop their intellects and their uniques. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And yeah. this is where I disagree with Land a lot too. And yeah, this, this sort of IQ of, or whatever, like ability to win games is effectively like, it's just not a, an effective it's a process. reflection of prosperity, usually. Like, IQ is probably most significantly cor correlated with wealth. Yeah. It's not measuring, like you said, how many people, how many great minds are denied opportunity? How much productive capital <laughs> has like, been lost yeah. to humanity over the centuries because of this fucking draconian mode of production, whether it be feudalism or yeah. or capitalism. And I mean, right? all the way from ancient times, philosophy and art have been the realm of the citizen of you yeah. know ancient Greece. The you know, bourgeois. Sort of. Yeah, not, if not the bourgeois, then like the Greek city-state citizen who Sophocles or Plato or Socrates or whatever yeah. had the How many material, slaves of theirs? Exactly. Were equally competent and capable or capable yeah they, they weren't even conceptualized as human in those right. times they were just considered part of nature you have to move past like I, I think the problem is with subjecting the concrete individual to like the abstraction of individualism like yeah. the average individual is not capable of realizing their full individuality and an egoist accelerationism would fuel that right it would push you to seek that yeah, it would like there's a really, I think, pivotal quote from The Right to Be Greedy, which is that it's quoting the uh, essay on the poverty of student life, which is a situationist piece. But 
a realized human nature can only mean the infinite multiplication of real desires and their gratification. So not just the desires of the wealthy and powerful, but the desires of everybody. That is egoist acceleration for me. And I mean, it presents its own like terrifying Lacanian underbelly, which is can desire ever truly be realized? But, you know, what do you think of that? <laughs> I think you have to be, that's the lie of capitalism too, is it's indifference or it's obscuring the ideology is ignoring that fact it is trying to logically or trying to use the logic that commodities can fill can reach help you reach obtain desire yeah exactly like it it is an obstruction to the full flow of desire i think in the most you know or like it's full i don't know in the lacanian sense it tries to say i mean it Tries to say you can, like the fucking, uh, what's the song by Bob Dylan? Like, you can win the race that's never been won, or you can do, you can do all these things. Like, you can, oh, you can be Oprah. You can be whatever you want to be. Yeah, yeah. No, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like th- those people came from, if not families. Of like, that's the lie. Like, cultures of relative prosperity. That's know? the lie is, your, is that your desire can be fulfilled through... Capitalism, yeah. Through consumption or through whatever, like, or, or just labor. Or just period, like, yeah, that your yeah. desire can be fulfilled. So I think, one, taking a more honest approach to desire, because that's the trap of capitalism, is it's preying upon our natural our natural desire at the cost of all this, like, we're consuming all of this crap under the guise that we think it will meet our desire, but it won't, so we continue on, and that continues on this process of seeking out new avenues for new desires yeah. and now that you can see that move into the virtual sure yeah in our current day and age yeah bringing it back to that like spicy banana quote that we started with about hegel <laughs> he like kind of points out that hegel's conception of absolute spirit it becomes free through the process of work and realization and where does that lead to the ideal to the ideology that work sets you free to the banner over the concentration camp it redounds to this Marxian concept that poverty and work are two sides of the same coin. The more you work, the more impoverished you are in every other sphere of your life. The less you enjoy on a daily basis, the more your stock of capital grows, you know, uh, the less, the more you scrimp and save and the more you abstain from earthly pleasure and desire, the more you grow in your wealth. Work and poverty, the plenitude of provided by work leads to a poverty of free time and the plenitude provided by work is denied to others who have that free time. Yeah, I think that there is just a ideology of individualism that doesn't truly mobilize desire, I guess, in a legitimate way. Yeah. And I mean, going back to the, why do the billionaires work, continue to work that I think it's to the heart of that. What I think is funny too, and is this, I want to read this because I think it's so good, it's, especially since you mentioned Hegel, which I think it's funny is it's so interesting to get this, again, Hegelian argumentation that's done so elegantly in this more like anarchistic sort of piece. Yeah. People who do not think dialectically end up making enormous errors here, practically as well as theoretically, because they cannot grasp contemporary as itself a social truth and admittedly self-reproducing subjectification, i.e. internalization of capitalist society, which is precisely an anti-social society, 
So much so that the socialization of society is where capitalist society is concerned, but another name for the project of social revolution itself. The ideologies of anti-socialism are based on the misery of association, collective boredom, right. inauthentic association. Under contemporary conditions, that is, on the misery of association as alienation and as estrangement. They are expressions of the poverty of social life, its virtual non-existence as such, in the world of strangers, the bellum ominum contra omnis, which is capitalist society. Inauthentic association in the workplace. Yeah, and I think if you look at what this cult of individualism produces, it has produced like a, you know, if you look at like social media posting, which is like, I feel like the main avenue that people like try to express some individualism against this colossal alienation. Yeah. They kind of all, all social media profiles in some way, they're just making the same kind of posts. They're trying to assert themselves as an individual in a way that appears absolutely identical to the person one click away. It is a assertion of an individuality that cannot truly be born, I guess. Hmm. I don't want to get into my argu argument about social media too much. I would just say, like, I see it as the application of desire itself in the paucity, the poverty, poverty of the social created through capitalism, the atomization, etc. Like, there's a desire for community. Yeah. There's a desi desire for recognition of the other. There's a de desire for intercourse with the other. Yeah. I think that's why, like, I do kind of, like, gravitate towards Twitter more than, like, the other. And I, I know you're the same way. It does feel like a way to reach your union of egoists. Yeah. Whereas Instagram or something like that is a way to present a face. Yeah. You know, it is a scream that I am an individual against the... But but it's a, a presentation through such a cura curated false... Yeah. I mean, I think to some extent they all fall into that sort of same logic although the logic is not totalizing and even the logic of ideology i don't think is necessarily a fully totalized yeah you know what i mean otherwise how would we exist um yeah and i'm very curious about how that i'm curious about the mechanism of how that happens like what awakens the egoism in the subject <clears throat> what triggers my egoism to real to see beyond the lie of this narrow egoism that capitalism offers but it's it's so like because it's so obvious when you see it, you're right. It's how do you not see? <laughs> I think that's where kind of like the praxis of Sterner wins out against the praxis of Marx in that narrow sense is that you have to live the life that you would want to live in a utopian society. You have to eke out that existence for yourself in any way that you can. I mean, the paradox and the problem with that is like, uh, as they point out in like the right to be greedy, is that that ultimate kind of individual flourishing, flourishing can only be appropriated collectively. Yeah. Through the appropriation of other individuals as like right. unique subjects. That kind of final push into a new system can only be a collective endeavor. I think I would almost, maybe not that specific point, but maybe the earlier point of what you were saying ties into like a deleuze guattarian methodology too, or approach. Yeah, like you have to be responsible for your own liberation in some way. You have to like, you, you can't delegate it to a politician because that will never result in true freedom. You have to seize it in any way you can through sheer force of will. And, you know, you have to kind of eke it out for yourself. I just think that it is impossible to realize the full potential without some kind of movement past capitalism. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you're still going to be constrained by the need for money to survive in the society. Yeah. Did we read this? This is another example of like their 
really good sort of Hegelian approach. Communist egoism names the synthesis of individualism and collectivism, just as communist society names the actual material, sensuous solutions to the historical contradiction of the particular and the general interest, a contradiction engendered especially in the cleavage of society against itself into classes. This solution cannot be of the form of a mere idea or abstraction, but only a concrete form of society. Yeah, I I think I zeroed in on that quote as well. I wish I could buy fully into the Sternarian vision of individual liberation. I just feel like there is ultimately that, you know, capital lurking in the shadows. Yeah, you're going to run up. I mean, even as someone who sort of embraces this type of egoism to a degree, like eventually, you know, my ability to manifest my own desire is constrained by by capital. Yeah. By access to resources, etc. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely like that Marx critique from from earlier on, I think definitely has purchase. Being free of your mind is not enough, but exactly, it is yeah. part of the equation. It is part of the equation. Absolutely. I think that, you know, egoist communism, that kind of full greed that they talk about and the right to be greedy is that and they talk about this like they 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 say it is the revolutionary subjectivity that like the situationists were talking about. It is the class consciousness. Class consciousness is that collective egoism. It is the desire that not only, even if you had that Jeff Bezos moment where you got all the cash you needed to live the kind of life you wanted and quit, everybody else is still playing by the rules of capitalism. You're not engaging with them as full developed individuals. Do you get what I'm saying? Even if you have all that money, you're still, like everyone else is still constrained both by those rules. That Like they are still constrained by the realities of capital and they're only able to engage with you as partial individuals. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Yeah. So like just in the, in the, in the sense of subjectivity. Yeah. Or like, even like materially, it's like if I, if I had time off, but none of my friends did. Exactly. Yeah. That's, <laughs> then, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like I, you know, my, my friends all. My friends in Austin have a much better work-life balance than my friends back home in New York do. Like those people, those friends, they are working like 60 hours a week. And if I am taking the, like if I'm not working and enjoying my free time, what good is that when there's no one to enjoy it with? Yeah. When everyone, like when everyone around me is engaging with the world of capital. I think there was a recent story about George Clooney, where he gave his friends, each of his friends, something like two to four million dollars or something like that. I think I heard that about Rihanna, too. Yeah. (laughs) She just gives her friends money, which is like. I mean, it expresses that same, that same, like, at least there's, you know what I mean? At least that's like a sort of move in the direction of egoism. Yeah, yeah. Out of greed of my, it's like my own yeah. greed, my own self-interest is why I give yeah, yeah. this money to my friends so that I can enjoy. Yeah. And if you weren't giving that, you know, money to them, it would get in the way of your yeah. relationships with them. Like they, they would. Or know, it's also like if I, for it or, if I can't enjoy your company or if we can't enjoy our company. Yeah. Together. The money will always get in the way of those genuine connections. It, it will always interfere you know you're oh yeah i guess i'm not even thinking about that specific psycho individual level but just at the level of economy and yeah and i guess and self-interest as far as if i have no one to share experiences i mean you can't experience like wealth is social yeah like we've has been argued a million times already sure (laughs) with no one to enjoy your wealth with what's the point yeah only can be realized so it can only be created socially it 
it is social and it can only be realized socially. Yeah, I think that, I don't know, there's a lot to be said for that kind of conception that Badano introduces that the unique needs its property to realize itself. There's another kind of like Buddhist connection that I make, which is that the Buddhist concept of all concepts is that they're inherently empty of meaning and the individual is inherently empty of meaning without the social to fill it. Yeah, which is Lacanian as hell too. It's like a mixed drink or something like, or a, I don't know, a blank canvas. Without things to fill it up, there is nothing there. Without property. That's what property, that's why property is, it's unique in its property. Like for my... You know, there has to be a property to, I have, if I don't have property, then I don't have, there's no I. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Those things are tied together. My unique is filled by like the property that, you know, enjoy. Well, socially, I mean, we're enjoying like like, podcasts. Exchange of ideas. Like you're taking me as, we're taking each other as our property right now. Part of my unique is, you know, my intellectual pursuit, my interest in economics and philosophy and whatnot. Another part of my unique is my, the social connections I, you know, make when I play D&D or something like that. Yeah. Those are ways that I fill up my subjectivity, that I fill up my unique is with yeah. the property of others. Like it's, Socially. It's socially. Without a social outside to engage with, unique is nothing. Yeah, without the other. It's fundamentally empty. Exactly. Yeah. It is hard to realize that other when everyone else is constrained by material need. Stirner would have absolutely rejected the narrow individualism that has come to define capitalist subjectivity. Oh, yeah. I think that he would view it as like a sublimation of the unique to... I think he would be more capable of understanding Marx's perspective if he lived today. Yeah. You know, he would he would be capable of seeing how capital constrains those the real id, how the superego of external need suppresses the id of desire. There's like a quote from that Thomas piece, which is that the loss of self involved has taken different forms at different historical stages. The culmination of the process, according to Stirner, was to consist in the supremacy of the assertive ego. Stirner and Marx and Deleuze and Guattari and Buddhist philosophy, they are all philosophies of ego death, of destroying the ego, of breaking down that outside voice telling you that things must be a certain way and embracing what is fundamentally empty about the individual. I think that's kind of like the core of Stirner's ontology is the inherent emptiness of concepts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very and I think good. that's what totally links him to like Buddhist philosophy is that emptiness of concepts is what allows the unique to be filled by its surroundings. Like another, I'm sorry to harp on Buddhism so much, Difference in Repetition, Deleuze's kind of like masterpiece of metaphysics has a lot in common with like the Buddhist conception of interdependence. It is impossible to constitute an individual without the social connections that it makes. Spinoza has this idea of the worm in the blood, that the worm moving through the blood is only capable of conceiving of individual parts around it through like connections. And there's a similar concept in Buddhism called Indra's net, which is that you're only able to make sense of an individual thing by its constitutive surroundings. So the individual can only be understood in terms of its social embeddedness. Here's a passage I'm going to read, and I think this gets to this notion of self-interest and where in that example of even Bezos or billionaires that continue to work. Yeah. All along the line, consciously or not, 
me first, has always been the necessary pattern of everyone's practice. Everyone at every moment of their lives, consciously or not, acts in his own self-interest at some level. Anything else would be inconceivable, impossible. Unable to pursue his desires directly, a masochist uses the mediation of pain. The masochists of morality, ideology, and causes seek pleasure by means of the pain of subordinating themselves through these projections. The moral idealist attempts to get what he wants through the mediation of his projected ideal. Because he doesn't know how to get what he wants directly, he doesn't know the practical means within himself as the subject and center of that practice. So he posits his center outside of himself as a rigidified generalization which is to decide for him. In so doing, he makes the mistake of thinking that consistency with his ideal is always consistency with his self-interest. And I think that last line especially, I'm going to read it again just because it's so fucking it's yeah. brilliant. In so doing, he makes the mistake of thinking that consistency with his ideal is always consistency with his self-interest. And that's the conjuring trick of capital. Yeah. Going back to Dual Dunking on of Feuerbach by Marx and Stirner, that very much reflects the Stirnerian side of why Feuerbach was fundamentally misguided is that the person who makes himself a slave to a morality or to a concept is kind of... So I'll, I'll read a quote from uh, the Thomas piece, which is that like, in Marx's words, the critique of religion ends in the doctrine that man is the supreme being for man. Thus, it ends in the categorical imperative to overthrow all conditions in which man is a debased, enslaved, neglected, contemptible being. Marx did not share Stirner's young Hegelian belief in the oppressive force of Feuerbach's relocated divinity, but he did share with Stirner a desire to assault Feuerbach's anthropocentrism, the abstract love for an abstract man at the expense for any concern for real individual people. So there is that part of Marx that understands yes, especially that first part as being a limiting force, but the necessary conclusion of that is to emancipate yourself from not only false consciousness, but the conditions that produce it. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I would totally agree with that. Yeah. I think this is funny just in the sense of how, again, just this is totally just moving on in terms of the sure. right to be greedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is funny, like in a in Hegelian and even Lacanian sense, this next, <laughs> this quote here, this just, this kind of shit makes me laugh so hard. Socialized egoism, communist egoism, is the negation of the negation of capitalist egoism, but it is the self-negation of the self-negation of that egoism. <laughs> Gosh, it's a lot of negation. Yes. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. Yeah. But that's the kind of smart allegory shit that Lacan would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that is definitely... Uh, actually, I guess it continues here to this second negation is essential to narrow egoism itself, no less than the first negation, which produces its antithesis, moralism, anti-egoism, altruism. The second negation is necessary to narrow egoism, to the preservation of its own premises. Once it advances to a certain threshold in its self-development, the proper method to catalyze, to stimulate and accelerate this process is another, i.e. from the outside. It is the evocative method, the method of seduction. The method of rebuke, though useful at certain crucial turns here too, is especially in the form of the method of chastisement, more adequate to the first, not the second, negation of narrow egoism. The method of chastisement is that of forcibly drawing out moral projections from the psyche, of creating handles in the victim's head for easy manipulation. 
by authorities and ideologies of all sorts, of instilling submissiveness, of inducing the split in the victim between the sense of duty and the sense of inclination, of forming the guilt loop of alienated self-control. Interesting. Yeah, I think alienated self-control is really like a kind of like... Oh, this is a mad critique of id Paul and like the left today, especially the like rad lib. Yeah. Yeah, I and can see a that. large swaths of the left is this moralism bullshit. Yeah, definitely. This chastisement element of it that it really is this it's guilt loop of alienated alienate. self-control. It, it is also alienating to people. Right. In that like no one wants to feel guilty all of the time. Like, right. It, it is yeah. fundamentally Catholic. It's Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's falling back into this like Feuerbachian, yeah. I guess, conception of, of like species being or some shit. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's not there, the right I, word. There, like, I think that, yeah, self-sacrifice is really kind of alienation. What was what was the phrase that they use at the end of there? Something alienation. Quoting them, sacrifice of a future greater pleasure to a more immediate but lesser one is precisely that sacrifice, not the other way around. The responsible individual must decide for himself what is to be his greatest advantage. I think in the past you could have argued that that advantage might have been self-sacrifice. It might have been sublimation of the immediate desire to the development of capital or the you know negation of scarcity but at this point in history i don't think that that ethic of self-sacrifice can motivate a true kind of communist egoism yeah history bears that out yeah largely (laughs) in a society that is like so past scarcity in many ways logic of scarcity that need to sublimate the id to an ego a superego that demands that you especially now the super egoic injunction is to enjoy yeah if there's guilt we're guilted if we don't enjoy adequately yeah too right we don't enjoy our time off if we didn't enjoy it enough we're like oh man i didn't do that like i even find myself like on my day off it's oh i didn't i didn't go hiking or something and but that enjoyment like there's is guilt, not then it's guilt like a catholic guilt it's not the free disposal of time it is often the commodified consumption of time rather than like it's free you know choice it is unbound from the world of free time is so thoroughly pervaded by these capitalist impulses and incentives i like this sort of hegelian approach here to the dialectical approach they take towards altruism and and egoism although altruism and narrow egoism are commonly taken as true opposites they have this in common an imminent critique of either must arrive at communist egoism. Right. That is, communist egoism is the synthesis. That is, communist egoism is the synthesis of altruism, narrow egoism. Communist egoism is simultaneously, identically, both of them, and neither. It is the unitary rejection of both, which is also their unitary affirmation. I think it pretty much sums it all up to say that egoist communism is that the class consciousness that Marx posited is the precondition for a revolution. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I like that yeah. a lot. It is what we're looking for. It is that, yeah. you know, kernel of revolutionary... The like, right to be greedy, gun man. Gunpowder like, that, like, yeah. you know... Can... Take up your self-interest, you fucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quit being a fucking slave and take ownership of your freedom. It's there. I like, think... In that sense, I don't know. Like, what I guess that's idealist. has distinguished, sense. for me, conservatism from liberalism from socialism is that conservatives do not believe a better world is possible liberals want a better world for their children socialists realize that a better world is possible now for you don't self-sacrifice it's not 
You don't need to build a better world for your children. There is an excellent world that is just waiting to be yeah. fully grasped. The wealth is here. We have the wealth. Exactly. We are we are all the wealth. There is no more wealth that can possibly be extracted from nature. We've pretty much done it all within the capacity of Earth. There's that fucking... I can't believe that this is how we're closing out. I feel like because we're reaching what feels like a natural conclusion, <laughs> but that point... Have you ever watched Troy, the really shitty movie yes. with Brad Pitt? Yeah, like, David Benioff wrote that. Oh, God. Screenplay. <laughs> I, That's as sucks, a side man. note. But there's the line that like Achilles says to yeah. his Myrmidons, which is like, immortality is there, reach out and take it. Yeah, like, exactly. Communism is there, just reach out and take it. Do what Sterner would have done. Reach out your hand and yeah, grab it for yourself. Right. But how does that happen Like in the material sense? is the I guess that's the missing component of what triggers... Yeah. What triggers the realization of your own ego or your own ego or your own self-interest and that... I, 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 broader I mean, and more rich sense of it than narrow is that how does the spell of ideology get broken yeah i do think that part of it is consciousness i do think another part of it is that capital will it, it is not sustainable it is collapsing on itself there is that kind of like marx quote that i remember you singling out is somewhat confusing which is that like communism is not a state of affairs to be established right. it is the real the real movement to abolish the present state, state of, of things. things in many ways like capitalism will force the if it, if it doesn't force the consciousness that, or if we are not able to instill that consciousness within people, there won't be a world to seize. I, I think that in many ways, capital in true to land's estimation is driving the bus, but I think the bus is about to fucking crash. And I think things, things will fall get apart. worse, <laughs> things fall apart. And if, if we don't reach out and realize this moment for what it is, that's that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Or the hard limit of of shit will force us to like maybe that's the only thing that'll awaken the true egoism is the like yeah. material reality well, of scarcity imposing itself the yeah. reality of climate change destroying capital's ability to reproduce itself fundamentally it's a case of capital destroying its own ability oh uh, yeah i guess that's itself. true right yeah. yeah like it's climate change it doesn't make sense i don't think yeah to think of it as yeah, external right. forces true. as part of the movement yeah. of capital yeah yeah good point part of the real movement <laughs> <laughs> The real movement to abolish the current state of affairs. On Earth. <laughs> Life on Earth. So capitalism is communism. Boom. Mm -hmm. Dialectics. Bingo. That's the episode. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> right on. But in a sense, isn't that accelerationism too, right? Kind yeah. of. Yeah, it is. I don't think that kind of Landian vision of a self-conscious capital is coming to pass. I don't think it is reaching that level of accelerative takeoff where, you know, the singularity is coming. I think it's more likely that it is petering out. It yeah. is reaching its limits. Exactly. It's yeah, it's I not so like too. a sleek, Yeah, there's no transcendent. It's not like a sleek killing machine like land envisions. It's like a really fucking tired donkey that is it's on a, its last legs. It's a dumb beast is what it is. It's yeah. a dumb beast. Yeah. It is sort of this Lovecraftian beast, but a dumb idiot god. Yeah. Like What's the god that's a sleeper? I forget As what the idiot god is. Something like that. Yeah, that's some like. <laughs> I'm not sure if the idiot god is one of the ones that you can say the name of without getting canceled. <laughs> yeah, it is Azathoth. It is. Nice. Yes. <laughs> Funnily enough, Lovecraft. It's not really publicized, but late in life became a socialist. Interesting. Yeah, renounced his racism and uh, in a, like correspondence to a friend or something like that. I feel like there's still a lot to be penetrated within like the right to be greedy. It's it's a really profound and excellent piece that I highly recommend people read. 
I think it has like a genealogy and a lot of really good Marxist literature, including Reich and Society of the Spectacle and Marx himself and Stirner. It really does tie together really well, I think, a lot of these themes that need tying together. There's maybe two or three quotes that I'll read and we can discuss and then kind of wrap up. Increasingly up to the present, since the breakup of early communal forms, all wealth has been private. That is, only private property has been recognized as wealth. In the future, if there is a future, the narrow and privatized will be revealed as the essence of poverty, and wealth will be realized as social wealth, as wealth in human beings, in their relations and their capacities, in their faculties and in their objectifications. That is, the greatest wealth and the necessary context of all wealth is society itself, which is the ethics of egoist communism. Oh, this is a really uh, short one that's funny too. I liked it was... Contrary to the ideological banality, it is only the most greedy people who can never be bought off. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think there's a quote that's like, you know, the only revolutionary you can trust is really one that is in it for himself. Yeah, exactly. Because they won't give in, sell out. (laughs) This one was pretty good in the context. So they say, with the dying out of exchange value, the science of use value, thus all the concrete sciences, now unified through their unified subjective use, will become the only useful science, and the science of use value is the science of pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kicks ass. That's so fucking great. Yeah. Another banger is this one. Today people oppress each other by the smallness of their desire, their poverty of social needs, their lack of a fuller egoism, a fuller greed. We are asking people to ask for more so that we can ask for more and get more from them. Get what we can only get by being allowed to give more. I introduced that Oscar Wilde quote that, uh, you know, he bemoans the fact that he has to be altruistic as compromising his narrow greed, I guess. And I think that that speaks to the synthesis of those two things is you truly achieve communist subjectivity when you are greedy, not only for yourself, but for others. Exactly. Yeah. There's actually a quote here. They're like, the old moral question of whether one thinks first of oneself or of others falls apart when we come to think only of ourselves and for this reason negate the otherness of others. It's kind of a... Too. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. I, I like noted that as well. Yeah, it's a great piece. But yeah, I think that will effectively cap the reading or the discussion on, on the right to be greedy. Jack, thanks for joining me once again for the third time on Machine Unconscious Happy Hour. For sure. I hope I'm back sometime soon. So this will be the Machine Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry the signing off for the week. Of Cheers. Of Including the ultimate form of security, which is the world state of things, a cure of violence without object. This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. What I meant is the following. With nothing left but recycled, whitewashed, lobotomized people, as in a block work orange.